Chris is going to um, lead us in our scripture reading this morning. Thank you, Chris. Morning, everyone. Morning. Really lovely to see everyone. Quite a great privilege for me to actually do a reading as always. But I'm always given, well, I'm always honoured, personally. May I just say there's a lovely set of um, songs we just sung, especially that new song, Spirit Breakout by the Holy Spirit, which incidentally my reading today is uh, on, um, well, uh, on par with that actually. It's from Acts 2, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit to all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapour of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for um, reading that uh, piece of scripture this morning. Why don't we pray for Carolyn? 
Father, we give you thanks that you have brought us to this celebration on Pentecost. Father, we thank you for Carol, and we thank you for the word that you have laid on her heart that she brings to us this morning. May they be your words through her. And we just entrust that into your care. We say thank you for all that you are doing and all that you have done and all that you uh, prepare for us. We ask that you prepare our hearts and minds to receive every good gift now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think Pentecost is the most exciting day to, to be the person who brings the message. So I'm really pleased to be able to do it this morning. So today, Pentecost, the birthday of our church, the church worldwide, the national church, the day that the Holy Spirit was released into the world in a different way. So we remember how the Holy Spirit, as Christopher has read, uh, had um, Jesus had promised, came in his fullness to impart power for ministry to the disciples as we heard Christopher read in Acts chapter 2. Okay. I thought today we should take a look into the Jewish background of the Feast of Pentecost, as Jesus would have known it, and indeed as the Jewish people still celebrate. Of course, Pentecost is a Greek word, not Hebrew, taking its name from the number 50 but was celebrated 50 days after Passover. In Hebrew, it's called Shavuot, and is the second of the Jewish pilgrim festivals when all adult males were expected to make the pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. It's a spring festival and celebrates the beginning of the barley harvest. But after the temple was destroyed in AD 70, the Jews changed the emphasis from bringing their first fruits to the temple, to remembering the anniversary of the giving of the law. There was a subtle change from thanking God for his provision of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, to receiving the books of the law, <coughs> the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. In the feast of the Passover, the Jews remember the beginning of their journey into physical freedom, but in Shavuot, or Pentecost, as we now call it, there is the thought that physical freedom is not sufficient without also a spiritual redemption or freedom brought about by the giving of the law. We briefly recall the Ten Commandments. We will remember that the first four are focused on our relationship with God himself. The last six are focused and concerned with our relationships with each other. Now the Jews renewed their vows made when the commandments were first given by saying, all that the Lord says, we will do. This is recorded in Exodus 19:8, Exodus 24, verse 3, and again in verse 7, to three times, all that the Lord says, we will do. Uh-huh. <laughs> May we today... May today um, um, we could follow that same tradition and deepen our commitment to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So at Pentecost, when the disciples together with many Jews from the surrounding countries 
were once again in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, Jesus fulfilled the promise he had made before he returned to heaven, that he would send another to be a comforter and support. But until that time, they were to wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came as a mighty roar of rushing wind, and they saw tongues like fire above each of their heads. Remember what I said about the Jews remembering the giving of the law at the festival of Pentecost. In Exodus 20, we read, when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, there was thunder, lightning, trumpet, and smoke. He doesn't do things quietly. A few chapters later, God again requests Moses to meet him on the mountain so that he can give give him the laws inscribed on the tablets of stone. And for six days, when the Israelites looked up to the mountaintop, it appeared to be consumed by fire. God may well speak to us as individuals in that still small voice that he spoke to Elijah with. But on these occasions, when he was establishing a new covenant or empowering his people, it seems he did it with noise and fire. Apart from the wind and fire, there was another manifestation of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Remember, it was a Jewish pilgrim feast, and Jerusalem was full of Jews gathered from the nation surrounding Jerusalem. Yet they could all hear in their own language, although the speakers were clearly Galileans, and not particularly well-educated Galileans. Peter, now emboldened by his anointing with the Holy Spirit, stood up to explain to the crowd that they weren't drunk, as they supposed, but had experienced what Joel had prophesied would happen in the last days. The Holy Spirit had been poured out on them. He went on to preach his powerful sermon, declaring that Jesus, that Jesus Christ, who was crucified by their hands and by those of evil men, had gloriously risen from the dead and was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Let us pause from this wonderful account and ask the question, well, what was the Holy Spirit doing before then? Where was he before this day of Pentecost? So after a short, fairly short time of research, I found loads of references to the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But there is a distinctive difference from his work in the New Testament. In the, in the Old Testament, he anointed specific people at specific times for specific tasks in God's kingdom work. In the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis, um, chapter 1, verse 2, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Why? To bring order out of chaos. Other examples include prophets anointed to speak out, priests anointed to intercede on the behalf of the Israelites, and kings were anointed for leadership. So the Holy Spirit was active in creation and the sustaining of the earth, in the history of redemption under the law, in the lives of individuals for spiritual growth, wisdom, and leadership. We also read of the giving of specific creative abilities to the craftsmen chosen to construct the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. He brought the promises of blessing that would be in the coming Messiah 
he gave Samson strength, protected David from Saul, and came upon Gideon, instructing him before the battle of Jericho. He filled Ezekiel to predict the coming judgment on the people, and again for proclaiming God's truth. We read in the book of Numbers that he fell on 70 elders who were then able to prophesy. On one occasion, he gave David words to say, and through the Spirit's power, Zechariah was able to tell Zerubbabel that all battles would be won. Joel prophesied that he will pour out his Spirit on all people. So the Holy Spirit has always existed as part of the Holy Trinity. Returning now to the amazing account we read in Acts chapter 2, we read that at the conclusion of Peter's sermon, the people were cut to their heart and cried out to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? To which Peter replied, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. I want us to notice a couple of things here. At the Feast of Pentecost, there were all Jews who heard the message of Peter's preaching, and it was a collective we in their question as to what they should do. It represented the whole Israelite nation as one body, and Peter's reply echoed the message of who? Who had come before with that same message? John. Hmm? Well done, yes, John, who came pre um, preaching a baptism of repentance. Now let's jump forward a few chapters to Acts chapter 10 and recall the account of the conversion of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and therefore he was a Gentile. Why is that significant? The Jewish laws forbade the Jews to enter a Gentile's house, let alone eat and socialize with them. Gentiles include everyone who's not a Jew, but God now had other plans. During a time of prayer, God had revealed to Peter through a vision that all he had created were pure and he would not regard them as impure or unclean. That would have been part of their ritual laws, which is the reason why they were previously not allowed to associate too closely with um, non-Jews. The vision was quickly followed by a knock on the door and three servants of Cornelius stood there asking for Peter to return with them to the home of their master. Although he was a Roman, therefore Gentile, Cornelius was a God-fearer and regularly prayed and gave money to the poor, but he didn't know about Jesus. God had heard his prayers. God had shown Peter in the vision that he should not be concerned about going to the home of a Gentile. Before Peter even finished his message to Cornelius and his household, the Holy Spirit was poured out on everyone and they were speaking in tongues and praising God. The other Jews who had accompanied Peter were astonished to see that the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto Gentiles. Peter recognized that they had been given the Holy Spirit in the same manner as they had, and he ordered that they should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This was a significant happening in the history of the church, 
the Gentiles were now being brought into the kingdom of God, which had previously belonged to the Jews as God's own special people through whom he had chosen to reveal himself. Before we finish, let us jump forward again to Acts chapter 16. I tell you, if you haven't read the book of Acts, there's some exciting stories in there. Let's jump forward again for when Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi after they delivered a slave girl from a spirit of divination. In other words, she was a fortune teller. If you remember, they're singing praises to God at midnight in the prison cell when a violent earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison and the prison doors fly open. When the jailer realized what had happened, he drew his sword ready to kill himself, but death would have been his fate anyway for losing prisoners. But Paul intervened and told him they were all still there. So the man fell trembling at Paul's feet and asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul, of course, answered that he needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he would be saved, him and his whole household. After the jailer had washed their wounds, the jailer and the whole household were baptized. Now, who's been listening well enough to notice the difference of one word between the question the Jews asked, um, asked Peter at Pentecost, and the question asked by the jailer to Paul? Jailer in Philippi said, what must I do to be saved? Mm -hmm. And the sign seven was, what shall we do? Saved. No, that's the same in both, isn't it? Yes. Jenny, did you say? I and we. I and we. Yeah. And can you remember why that was, why there is that significant change? Yes, with the I is the personal mm -hmm. relationship. Well done, Barry. And the we referred to the, the corporate um, we of the Israelite nation. I thought that was a really interesting thing um, worth pointing out. Peter was shown very clearly that the gospel was now open to those from outside the Jewish nation. And Paul very clearly was a missionary specifically chosen by God to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. And in the Acts of Apostles, we read of his three exciting missionary journeys culminating in his house arrest in Rome, from where he wrote many of his letters to the young churches, to both encourage them and admonish them. This change in God's plan of redemption is clearly shown in the switch from the corporate we, in the question by the Jews at Pentecost, what shall we do to be saved? To that of the individual person's question, what must I do to be saved? Do we all know as individuals, do we know in our hearts that we have responded positively, just as Cornelius and the jailer and both their households did? In the first chapter of Ephesians, we read that when we become a believer, we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. When the king adds his seal to a document, it is a clear statement that his authority is behind it. It's exciting to think we go into the world carrying his seal of authority. Do we know for sure that we believe in Jesus Christ and want to receive all that the Holy Spirit 
has for us, so we are enabled to fully participate in his kingdom. I believe the message we can take away from this Pentecost Sunday is to know that we do wholeheartedly believe the answer that both Peter and Paul gave to that question, that we individually believe with all our hearts in the risen Lord Jesus, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Do please speak to me or others in the church if you want to um, chat it through more personally. Please don't go away without, with a doubt in your mind.